startup. Well, not the interview I was expecting to conduct here, but Landon's running a little late, so go ahead, introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm Tom Legman. I'm, I'm the spotter for the Double Zero Racing Chevrolet for Landon Castle. Yeah, and we've been sitting here talking the past so 20 minutes or so, and quite quite a lot of stories to tell. So I guess we've been talking about how you use different spotting terminologies, how you really got into it, and it seems like it's sort of a grind in, in any position in NASCAR, whether you're going to be a crew chief, a driver, a spotter, or anything, that you start from the bottom and work your way up. Is that what you found as well? Yeah, that's what I found, and that's essentially where I started. Uh, I also do marketing as well, but where I started on the team end, and I enjoy the team end because it keeps me in the competition, you know, keeps me in the groove of things, but um, where I started essentially was helping out uh, Jamie Obi, who's a three-time Bush East champion, and uh, worked on his car, and Johnny Lazat, who ran up here at Oxford Plains as well, Oxford Plains champion, and then just kind of worked my way up, worked on the cars, volunteered, uh, one thing led to another, uh, I gassed for uh, Jamie, I changed tires for him here and there. And then uh, one time we were a uh, spotter short, and the spotter he had he didn't like, so he put me up in the spotter stand, and that started my uh, career spotting. Did you ever do any work over at some of the more local tracks, Stafford Speedway or anything like that? Yeah, I did not too much. I mean, with the Bush East, then it was the Bush North Series. We'd run at Stafford, um, so we'd be there a couple of times a year. Thompson, Thompson's still one of my favorite tracks. I love that place. It's bad fast, and um, you know it gets your attention. Uh, actually, uh, won a race. I was gassing uh, for Steve Park. Okay. With uh, when Hibbard ran the car, and uh, we won the the North race there, which was pretty cool. One of us, uh, I think it was Steve Park's first first win. Okay. So yeah, that was pretty cool back in the day, back in the early '90s. But uh, yeah, just started out that way, and then uh, I gassed, and then I helped Tommy Ellis one time. His uh, gas man, it was here at New Hampshire. Uh, second race. Tommy won the very first race here in 1990. Uh, 1991, his gas man fell off the trailer, broke his leg, and they came looking for me at the last minute and said, basically pulled me out. Charles Hatcher, who's an official here, said, can you gas? I said, yeah, I can. So <laughs> I became the gas man my, for my first Xfinity race in 1991. It was uh, pretty neat. And I ended up working with those guys from a lot of different places. And you mentioned that it was sort of from there, just someone yeah. slipped you a business card and said, hey, if you want to come roll with us, then come with us. And I don't know, do you, do you foresee that happening nowadays with someone where it's, I mean, it is 20 some odd years later, not not to make you feel old, but I, mean, I am old. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's such a, a different sport now with someone, you know, trying to get into it. Do you foresee someone being able to just... Hey, you know, get on the road with us. Let's go. Yeah, it, it's still it's still possible. So I've recommended young men and young women into the sport. It, this is still a word of mouth sport, and the, it, people that trust me trust who I recommend. And it's still that way for a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people send resumes to teams. You got to befriend some people. Go work for them for free. If they see your work ethic, they like what you do. All of a sudden, you'll get a paycheck. Let me give you a classic example. Chris Busher, who'd won the ARCA championship, came to work for Roush. And they really didn't have a ride for him. So I said, he says, what do I do? And I said, just go work in the shop. So Robbie Reiser was the team manager, and he says, Chris, I can't pay you, but just just come on in. Well, he worked his rear off and did a great job. A month later, Robbie came out with an envelope and said, well, you're working so hard and you're making a difference. I guess i get it, got to give you a check. So from that, his guys, he befriended all those guys. They put a race car together that Travis Pastrana had wrecked and set the goal of going to Michigan with it. And uh, Robbie was able to finagle an engine out of Roush Yates for him. 
and they went they ran as high as fourth and I believe they finished seventh in his very first Xfinity race at Michigan so hard work you know Chris does, didn't have any money to come into the sport like many of these kids do worked his rear off uh, worked you know 12 14 hours a day actually he was working 18 hours a day they work till six on the race cars and then work on his car till midnight to put it together so it, it still can be done this sport is still a recommendation from people. If they like you and see your work ethic, they'll go put you at a team. And, and the, those that work hard and understand the sport and keep learning, they're, they're still here today. Right, and the people that will be listening to this, I, I've told this story a hundred times, but I, I work as an announcer down at Stafford. And that, I, that seriously was, I called them one day, I said, hey, do you guys have any positions available? And they said, well, we're not looking for anything just for the summer. We're really filled up at the moment. I said, let me, let me go drop off a resume. And I walked into the track office, hand them a resume. Luck would have it, you know, the track owners were there. I started talking to them and they said, you know what, just just show up. Let's start you out on Monday nights with the kart series. Yeah. And, you know, there's maybe 20 people that go and watch it. But I worked hard there and then they said, okay, we got a spot open on Friday nights. We want you to come there. You know, three weeks in and I'm, I'm on pit road. They hand me a microphone. They say, okay, trial by fire, get out there. But... And I mean, we'll see where that ends up leading. But I, you know, I, I'm saying I'm asking this so that if anyone else is listening and they're on the edge, sort of like I was, and they're going, well, I don't know, it's it's hard to get into the sport. You're absolutely right, it's hard, and I think you'll agree. I mean, you started doing gas, and now you're up on top of the spotter stand. So yep, and and marketing, I brought in sponsorship here and there, which is originally what I was doing, but uh, you know, so throughout the sport, I've been able to, to maintain and make a good living in it doing exactly what I want to do and I, I can't ask for any more you know so so with Starcom growing you guys getting better and better finishes consistently what are the future plans from someone who's you know you're not the team owner per se but you're someone that's working there on the car every day and a major part of it where do you see this team in let's say three years um, I see us possibly expanding the two, two cars over the next three years which I think is when you get a second car and a second driver you've got that much more input you have to time your growth accordingly. You have to have the personnel that are not only available, but the personnel that will accept your culture and philosophy at the same time. It just makes for an easier transition. Uh, we've got enough cars and equipment, but I can see us maybe, you know, hopefully, and I, I'm not speaking for Alicia and not speaking for Derek, but just as I see it, a two-car team would be beneficial to us as an overall organization to be beneficial to Landon as a driver to have input from another driver and just continue to grow we've got an excellent engine program with ECR engines out of Richard Childress Racing if we can keep expanding on that um, they, they've done well for us uh, and just you know rules changes happen every year so if we can keep up on that and uh, get a little more breadth in our engineering. Uh, we've got Chris Stanley here, a fine young man. If we can help build on some of his programs uh, and, and be able to utilize that, that would be great. When you're a small team, you pirate a lot of information. So you have to, Joe, Joe Williams as a crew chief is excellent at seeing what other cars are doing, what other people are doing, and figuring it out and adapting it. And you know, when you have friends in the garage, you utilize those friendships, you get some information that you need when you're a small team because we don't have a multi-million dollar engineering department. I mean, if we have multi-million dollars, it's going to the car to sponsor it and put them together. So our engineering department is being able to take some crew guys out for a couple of beers and get some information, write it down, and leave. 
and vice versa. We we right. we do share some information here and there where we can. I hope none of the other owners are listening to this. <laughs> but I, um, I but, understand. but that's our engineering program with sense. But it does work. It does help us. We're you know we're a 25th to 30th place team. Um, you know, during the, the intermediate tracks where we shine is where Arrow's not as important. Martinsville, um, Daytona, Bristol, and then the super speedways, Daytona. And Landon's a very good super speedway driver. Joe puts together a great car. I mean, we had a great, great car at Daytona, great handling car. Uh, Would have loved to have seen it gone to the end. We had a plan with Kurt Busch, he, his, uh, with Kyle Larson dropping out. He had no one to help him, and he asked us to help him. And Boy, it would have been nice to see how that would have played out. And so you mentioned going to a two-car team, and that's something that Starcom has done in the past. And we talked right. about this a bit earlier, but what what could have been done better in order to maintain that two-car team? Or was it, do you think, the right move, and it's just not necessarily a mistake, but maybe getting you know too much in the water with going for two teams? Or was that well, a strategy to run two teams it's, for a year? It can be good and bad, but I think where it helped us, the silver lining was, we had twice the crew. So knowing that we were probably going to end up running one car, and I wasn't here with them last year other than a couple of races, but knowing that you were going to run probably just one car you know, with the one charter in 2019, it helped you to evaluate some crew members in the sense that you had double the crew, you had double the people. So in a sense, you were able to cherry pick between the two teams, come up with the best group and go and go forward. Um, when you go to really to make this work as a second car, you really have to have a charter to go with it. They're limited. There's only 36 of them out there. There's probably only three or four teams that may consider selling one. Um, so you just got to keep your ears to the ground and see if there's a deal that could be struck. I don't know if there's going to be any next year. It's uh, you know it's hit and miss depending on teams' fortune and, and you know financials. So uh, with the charter we have, it's been very good for us. Uh, charters start paying well when you add sponsorship to it. You can race at a particular level and and be competitive in that time, in that particular level. So the cars we're racing. You know, or the 32s, the 52, 51s, the 15, 77s. We try to attain to race against the 38, for instance, and we've been very close on that. Uh, 32 is a good car, so if you can start getting, you know, we're, we're a 32nd place average team, 31st. We're trying to get to 28th or 27th. You get more money than you grow. Tagashek is a great example. He's been able to get a lot of money and get, now his cars are running top 15, top 10 here and there. And really, it's money and people. It's more so people, but you got to pay them well. Um, so you got to have the money to go with it to get the better people to put better cars together. So that's uh, that seems to be a common thread among other every team that I talk to, every person I talk to. It's, it's money, 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 money. And compared to the other teams that are spending near the same amount as you, maybe spending a bit more than you. You mentioned the 38. Do you feel like you're beating teams? that are outspending you from skill level now that you guys are in this for a couple years? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And we're, like I said, 38 still beats us, but we're knocking on the door, and I know that bothers them, which is fine. <laughs> uh, it's supposed to. But um, we're, we're getting to a point of a level to where I think we're somewhat maxing out to what we have for money and skill and equipment. To go to the next step, you've got to look at it and look at the finances. Derek's really good about that. Derek and Alicia, they look, you know, look over the finances and what's it going to take to get to that next level. And again, I go back, you know, if you go back 
to uh, back 15 years to Furniture Row. I remember when they first started out in 2004, and then when they went to Cup to 2005, they were missing races. They eventually won a championship, you know, in 2017. It took a lot to get there, but each step of the way, they grew to various departments. You know, Barney tried to do his own engine program, and that didn't work, so he went to the lease programs. Toyota seemed to be the best one because they give their engines out evenly to all the Toyota teams, so that worked for him. So he did, you know, he grew it from from basically where we are and started to where it won a championship. And it was basically a single-car team. Yeah, they had a second team that was pretty much Toyota-driven with uh, the jo- with Eric Jones, but they were pretty much a single-car team in one races. And that's that's where we see us going, maybe the two cars, but building it up as we go, getting the right people, and you got to use the money as a tool to pay the right people to, to make these cars go. It's just like baseball, you know, or just like football. You see... The Patriots are a prime example. They've, they've got Brady, who they build, help build the team around, but they'll switch people in and out, but they always get the quality people to go win a championship. It's the same over here. There's, I mean, I think we all run a list of who we'd like to have here to help us get to the next level and what it will take. And it's if they get tired of a team and want something different, if you can offer that up to them, a, a good alternative or choice, and you have them, you're, you're happy to have them because you're going to see the results. All right. And focusing more on today, for anyone that's not here at the track, it's hot. It's about, I'm guessing, the track temp, I've heard the number about 120, 130 yeah, degrees. Yeah, about 20, 125, 130. It'll be a hot day today. Right. And with that much heat on the track, it's going to be slick. It's going to be crazy out yeah. there. And with the PJ1, the, the data from last year seems to be almost thrown out because the PJ1 last year wasn't in as much heat. And it was diluted by water a lot of it and right. reapplied in the morning. So this stuff was applied last night. How are you guys preparing for this this new, real, really almost a high downforce package meets a completely new factor? It's almost a double whammy of what could happen. Well, let you know about lap ten. <laughs> um, it, you know, it's it's hard. You can do all the planning you can, but you're really not going to know until you get a couple of laps in out there. Uh, the nice thing is with it laid down in lane one and laid down in lane three. Lane two does not have it. So you do have an alternative in the sense if it's too slick up there, you can run it in lane two, put the right right sides off on the edge of lane two between lane two and lane three and make the car turn until some rubber gets built up above that. What you'll see is the groove will probably start low today and work its way back up higher. I'm going to say by the end of the race, you'll see the guys drive in almost lane three up to four and a half and down. So you'll, the lane will, lanes will move up as the day goes. This track is funny. If you get cloud cover, it'll change. It'll get grip back in it. Uh, it's slick track racing when you got the sun out. Right. And you know what? I see Landon is, is here. Can we yes. throw him in on this interview and get a three-way going? All right. Well, bottled up is going mobile. Yeah, please come with. So we are going up into the hauler now. In the, all right. Yeah, it is hot today. We just mentioned. Hey, how's it going? Great Good, to see you. Good to see you. Been a while. Yeah. So we're doing a three-way interview right now. We're not right. live, but you still got recording. Tommy. All right. <laughs> Tommy's in here. So one thing we did talk about earlier before we actually started recording was over from the beginning of the year at Daytona in the first race, how much trust has to be built up, and really how quickly it has to be built up. So, I mean. Being real and, and completely honest, I hope no hurt feelings here, but how much did you trust him at the beginning and versus Ray <laughs> Rat now? <laughs> well, no, he doesn't know me from Adam. Yeah, well, yeah I'd worked with him, but 
Um, we all want him to get a big head, but the good the good <laughs> thing about Tommy, <laughs> Tommy off. is a um, he talks very clearly and he's very articulate in a with with few words. So that's a pretty important for a spotter, and so it makes it even even if even if he's tell, giving me information that I feel like I need to validate by looking in the mirrors or something, his ability to articulate quickly and clearly gives me time to validate information so to process yeah, yeah so it's like so that's important you know that's a that that's the kind of thing that builds trust so even if he's giving me information that i can say is oh that's maybe that's not right or whatever um, he speaks well enough that it works right and you actually didn't hear what we were talking about outside but we were discussing the pj1 and how much that's going to impact it and without giving any any answers i want to see how similar you two answer this question of what are you expecting now now since last year the pj1 was diluted with water and the rain and everything and then reapplied quickly that morning and plus with another high downforce package and a pretty much 130 degree ta track temperature what are you expecting to see from the beginning of the race to the end and how much is this going to affect the way you're driving since you're not let's say racing for the lead but you're racing a lot of other guys back there with you yeah. Um, I, I think the track will be tighter early with BJ with the fresh BJ one, and I think as it wears off, it'll um, it'll get a little freer. The balance of the car will get freer. Uh, pro probably similar to what we had at the end of Happy Hour yesterday. Um, I felt like the, the PJ one was getting a little wore off, um, so the the track was a little bit freer than it was on Friday. So um, I think the traction compound is good at any racetrack we go to. I think it just provides options creates sort of a dynamic surface um, and uh, you know it definitely made passing a little bit easier here so uh, I'm, I'm a fan for it just about anywhere. Well, it seems to be a mixed bag with drivers some love it some hate it so what makes you like it more than and other drivers per se? Just the just the like I said that I think it creates options I think it creates a dynamic surface that has the ability to change over the course of the race makes it maybe a little more challenging for drivers to have to keep up with it and adapt to the changing surface and I think that you know drivers are probably warming up to it um, more so um, than they had been I think there's more drivers that like the traction compound than they did uh, a couple years ago when we first started applying it right and we've seen actually the trend seems to be a lot of Chevrolets are going to back up cars this week and you know Kyle Larson, William Byron, Alex Bowman is on his third car now. Actually, Jimmy Johnson's yep. you know backup car. So how concerned are you as a driver of a Chevy about what's going on out there, or as a driver in general? You know, with how many wrecks we saw yesterday in the Modifieds and Xfinity, what are you expecting when those cars are this slick? Um, yeah, I mean the track's definitely treacherous. I mean, it, and I think the traction compound um, has something to do with that, just because the the the, the groove can be narrow if you get outside of the groove um, there's not a lot of grip so um, I don't think it really has anything to do with the manufacturers necessarily um, Hendrick has definitely had a, a rough weekend with their drive shaft braking and, and uh, a couple drivers uh, making some mistakes but um, you know it, we just kind of have to approach the weekend and focus on our own deal and you got to make sure that you get through get through practice clean get through qualifying clean and, and have a car for the race on Sunday all right and I know we're uh, we're getting close to race time, so I don't want to take up too much of anyone's day. But I always end every interview I do with the same question yeah. of for both of you guys: What was the first car you ever drove? Like a street car, first one you ever had? My first car was a Ford Festiva, a 1988 Ford Festiva. It was a hand-me-down from my brother. 
it was his car, first car, and um, when it was my turn to get it, when I turned 16, and we had to change the clutch in it because it was about smoked. And um, so my brother and I put no it, fault of your own. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure the race car. Yeah, yeah. So no so my brother and I, um, my dad gave us a clutch and a and the instruction manual, and we put it up on a lift, and the two of us changed the clutch in an afternoon. And we had a few extra parts and pieces when we were done, but I never had any issues with it. So it worked. Uh, it <laughs> worked. <laughs> it was a wonderful car. I loved it. And what about you? '65 uh, Volkswagen Bug. And I think I went through three motors in three years <laughs> on that thing. I think that would have been a hot ride. Oh, it was. It, we had fun with it. And my brother was racing at the time, so it'd be funny. Every Thursday, I'd go get race tires and stuff them in the back and come back and mount them. So you'd That's see cool. this Volkswagen with loads of tires in the back seat. <laughs> That's cool. So pretty fun car. Got a lot of use out of it. And same thing. My dad got it for me and said, here, you got to fix it. Whatever happens, you got to put gas in it, fix it and get a job to put gas in it so that's that started all that but you know what? fun car good times <laughs> good times i i know that story well that's the same boat i'm in so well hey thank you guys both yeah, for being on bottled up much appreciate it absolutely